Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Hello, friends, family, and fellow seekers. Welcome to the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by seekers and for seekers. Hope this day is going well for you, and the blessings of God's grace and peace are illuminating the lives of you and your loved ones as we all endeavor to make the best of this tour of duty we call the journey of life. What about shout-outs? Our shout-outs this week are to Jennifer from Chicago, the UK Weekly Podcast, and to Dan Lessig. And, of course, to all of our listeners in Costa Rica and Australia. We really appreciate you guys. All right. Uh, the last episode was based on the, I almost called it theory, but it's really a fact that the English translators would not translate the word Elohim as God's, plural, as it appears in the Hebrew text. Despite the times that it appears in the Hebrew text as El or Eloah, which is singular, and we talked about how all that's probably due to the promotion of the single God doctrine or monotheism. Uh, they were just not comfortable in our English to translate the word as it actually appeared, but instead declared that the intent was for it to be used singular. So we're mind readers from thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah. So as promised in our introduction, we have vowed not to skirt around the complex or controversial issues connected to the Bible and our walk of faith as we seek to know this exceeding good and great force on the planet Earth that we call God. So today's going to be a two-segment episode, and it's going to meet that promise and expectation to the highest degree. It is the question, did God create the force of evil, our adversary, the enemy, we've all come to identify as the devil or Satan or many of his various other names that have been used to title and describe him? Well, and in segment one of this two-segment episode, uh, the traditional theology is is that the devil's a good creation of God, an angel of highest order that by the use of his free will and choice, he went bad. Mm -hmm. So where and when did this teaching begin? In a research article found on LiveScience.com, this is the take. Any Sunday school student can tell you that Satan is a fallen angel. But this fall actually isn't described in the New Testament or the Christian Bible, period, said Jerry Walls, a professor of philosophy at Houston Baptist University and the author of Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory, Rethinking the Things That Matter Most by Brazos Press in 2015. However, he continues, however, Satan suddenly appears in the Gospels as the tempter of Jesus with nary an introduction of how the evil presence got there. 
So Christian theologians have come to this conclusion. If God created the universe and everything God creates is good, then Satan must have been something good that went bad. That's according to Walls. Walls continues on and says the only thing that can go bad by itself is a free being. Since there was evil before human beings came on the scene, the inference is Satan must have been a fallen angel. And there are other references to Satan in the Bible, depending on different interpretations. The Hebrew Bible has two passages about people who aren't respectful toward God. In these passages, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, human rulers make outrageous boasts, and some Christians interpret these actions as expressions of Satan, Walls writes. Well, the reality is the Hasids, a Jewish sect whose name translates the Holy Ones, were the first group in the, our Judeo-Christian history to seriously discuss Satan. They lived during the Roman era and withdrew from the Jewish society and began to teach that God would come and destroy Satan and all of those who cooperated with him, meaning the Romans and the Jews who aligned and cooperated with the Roman Empire. The truth is, concerning these two passages that has become our foundation for believing Satan is an angel who rebelled against God and was, cut out, and was cast out, are really about two kings who actually lived and are named in the text. And, of course, we're talking about uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel mm -hmm. 28, which we'll talk about later, but Ezekiel's actually, that is against the king that's three chapters long, 26, mm -hmm. 27, yes. and 28, but, but go ahead. Well, many people don't take the time to read the entirety of the passages, and they're only familiar with the small excerpts that from those passages that support the fallen angel theory. The passage in Isaiah 14 is a prophecy the Lord gave Isaiah concerning the king of Babylon. Read it. It clearly mm -hmm. says, yes. Say this about and to the king of Babylon, who conquered the Hebrew people and took many of them captive. And just as the prophecy describes, the haughty king of Babylon fell with the empire. The text never breaks from the original thought, and that is a prophecy concerning a real king of a real-life empire. It is only when one reads this passage with the preconceived idea that Isaiah is metaphorically describing the fall of the angel Lucifer that the idea even comes into play. It is what we like to describe as having the Bible interpreted for you before you ever read it. As most people who grew up in the church have experienced, me included, our Bible interpretation has already been drilled into us before we reach an age to read it for ourselves. So we're making a challenge to anyone listening, as difficult as you may find it, to read Isaiah 14 completely and find a place where the dialogue and thought shifts from the king of Babylon to an angel. And, 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 and guys, you have to go into that with the thought. Somebody has to mm -hmm. plant the thought in your mind that Isaiah is speaking of the fall of Satan for you to ever get that out of that text. Yeah. You cannot get that out of that text reading it because it's strictly in everything he said. It's, it's, it's metaphoric or allegoric. Mm -hmm. It's an allegorical statements. Some of the statements when you're doing allegorical statements, oh, so you thought you were God. Mm -hmm. You thought you were. Yeah. So, but now look at you. And that's really what was being said. As for Ezekiel 28, we challenge you to do the same. The part of the passage that we're told to believe is once again a, an allegorical history of Satan's creation is not credible. 
This is a small part of a prophecy pertaining to the king of Tyre that spans three chapters, beginning in Ezekiel 26 and ending in Ezekiel 28. So the part that we are led to believe is really about Satan and not the king of Tyre is Ezekiel 28, 12 through 15, because it uses the phrase, you were in Eden and you were perfect since the day I created you and you walked in the mountain of God. Which when you're reading through it, you know, if you read the first part of verse 12, which is usually omitted when these verses are used to prove that Satan's a fallen angel, you'll find that these are allegorical phrases being used because this is a funeral song to be sang to the king entire before his fallen death. And it, and it says, sing this funeral song. Mm-hmm. Too. We're going to talk about that. But, but he, he told him to sing. But really, it's a prophetic funeral song. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to happen to you. This is where you're headed. You know, I gave you... When you read it, you were in Eden. You were perfect since the day I created you. I gave you the easiest life you could have. Yeah, you had the cushiest job. You had You were in paradise. It was, it was a paradise. Mm-hmm. I, I, I set you up in a paradise, and that's all it's really saying. Mm-hmm. Your, life was, your life was cushy. It was easy. Uh, that, that first part of uh, verse 12 in Ezekiel chapter 28 reads like this. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. And then it goes into the verses in question, which was commonplace in Hebrew songs that used allegory to to make a prophetic statement. Right. And if you research the kingdom of Tyre and the king of Tyre, you will find that they are a real place and a real person that existed in Ezekiel's time. Tyre was actually a small kingdom in Phoenicia along the Mediterranean Sea. Part of the kingdom was along the coastland, but its main stronghold was an island fortress, only accessible by ship. It had a 150-foot wall that was fortifying the island. Tyre was the only kingdom in the region at that time that had a navy. In the beginning, the king of Tyre was an ally to the Hebrew nation. Thus, the reference to the mountain of God and his early days of perfection that are mentioned in the funeral Yeah, because he was kind of benevolent. You Mm -hmm. know, he started out kind of humble and benevolent, uh, this king of Tyre. And, uh, but however, the king of Tyre, a real-life person, a Phoenician ruler known to history as Hiram, Hiram I, became so arrogant in the process and the progress and prosperity of his kingdom that the once benevolent friend of the Hebrews, and by the way, everybody around that area, uh, the king of Tyre became a tyrant. Now, I'm really not sure if this is where the title tyrant originated. Tyre? Tyrant? It could be. I really didn't look it up to see. But it would be plausible. Mm -hmm. The part of the kingdom along the coast fell to King Nebuchadnezzar, but Hiram maintained the fortified island. It wasn't until Alexander the Great, who he himself did not have a navy, built a land bridge 200 feet wide from the coast to the island of Tyre, knocked down its wall, and leveled it to dust and ashes. The island later sunk into the sea, just as Ezekiel predicted. It is believed that the island being overtaken by the sea was a result of the redirection of water caused by Alexander's road bridge. You've got you to get this picture. Yes. Here's this king. He's got a 150-foot <laughs> wall around an island island off the coast. Mm-hmm. Nobody can reach him. You're going to roll a boat over there, and he's going to throw a rock off the wall on your head and sink right. your boat. You know. So here comes Nebuchadnezzar captures the land part of that, but he's got mm-hmm. this fortress. So he's pretty arrogant about this. 
what are y'all gonna do? You gonna come over here and what? what give me your best shot. <laughs> Can you imagine when he's watching Alexander the Great's men start building a road over there? I was gonna oh, say yeah. that probably took a while. Well, yeah, so. <laughs> I understood by history it's 200 foot wide. It was a 200 foot wide road well, that can, can still see below the sea surface can be seen today because of the rising seawaters. Right. That, well, you can imagine at first it was, look at him. What does he think he's doing out there? They're starting to make some real progress. Yeah, but, <laughs> what well, are we going to do? Well, what are they out there, hauling it in carts and dumping it or they bucket, would have buckets to, or yeah. shoveling? And he's got all these men out there. Probably when he gets, I don't know how far it was off. I, I couldn't find any history. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it, the island wasn't all of that. It was just enough off that you needed a boat. Right. You know, off the coast. But that was the real king of Tyre. Hiram was a real guy. He was a real person. And he had elevated himself because of his own security and who he was. Uh, guys, he had elevated himself that, he, you know, there's nobody can touch me. I can't be touched. And that was the whole idea about the And I think this is song. a good time to go into with the allegorical song. A lot of people go into, you know, the name Lucifer and oh, yeah. Morning Star. But, guys, that was actually the word that was used there was the name for Atar, which is it's translated Atar, Morning Star, Lucifer, Haley, and it was actually a word for Venus. The planet Venus. Mm-hmm. The planet Venus. And in Canaanite mythology, and I want to emphasize that if you guys haven't looked into Canaanite mythology, you really should. You're going to see some parallels between what's written in the Bible and what they kind of adopted from the land of the Canaanites. But it was a name for Atar, the god of the planet Venus in Canaanite mythology. And what he did was he attempted to scale the walls of a heavenly city, but he was vanquished or cast down by the god of the sun. And of course, that comes from God, that comes from Venus being this bright star in the sky. And then when the the sun comes up, the god of the sun would cast it down to earth because it disappeared for the day. (laughs) And so, and it was called Old Daystar, Old Bright Daystar. And that's just, that's what Lucifer means. It's a word that means that. Well, and Jesus even mentioned this rebellious king and the fall of his kingdom when he said of the Jews, it will be more tolerable for the cities of Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. But he didn't give any word indicating that the judgment prophecy against Hiram was actually a metaphorical origin of Satan. No, no. And, uh, I guess with that thought, we'll close out segment one, and we'll be right back with our final segment of this two-segment episode. Welcome back, Seekers. You are listening to the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, a podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. Today we are discussing the commonly embraced theology that the devil is a creation of God in the form of an angel who rebelled and is now fallen. And in segment one, we gave you a lot to think about. And we discussed the two passages from the Old Testament that are used to promote the theory of Satan as a fallen angel. We think we've presented a good argument that this theory is at best, a doctrine that's built on a very unstable foundation. So as we move forward to this segment, we want to address the fact that Satan, the devil, or whatever title you choose to use, is real. But as far as an explanation of his origin, we just don't have it. 
right. We know he exists because we have the mysterious encounter that our Lord Jesus had with him immediately following his baptism. Only three of the four Gospels record the event. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Mark 1, 12 and 13, and Luke 4, 1 through 13. And we need to note here, Mark only devotes two verses <laughs> to Jesus' temptation by the devil with no details. And John does not record the event at all. Some other notable differences, in Matthew and Luke, he is called, quote, the tempter, which is often translated the devil, but Mark actually gives him the title Satan. And Luke adds a peculiar note at the end of his account. Luke 4.13 reads, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. I've never noticed that. I hadn't either. noticed that either. I but had to you, go look it up. But you did say it, mm -hmm. right? It says it right there. And, and I think we've all mostly read Matthew's mm -hmm. account. But I had to go back and just layer these accounts and look at it. Uh, so the tempter, the devil, or Mark's account, Satan, is real, and seems to approach Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry with an offer for Jesus to abandon his intended mission and instead give his allegiance to the devil in whatever his mission is. The question that one must answer, if Satan is a created being, would it seem plausible for him to have any authority to present such a deal to the creator? And that's a legitimate question, is it, is. it not? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus didn't say, I created you, get back where I, you know, you have no authority. Jesus really didn't challenge his authority all of that much, did he? No. Mm -hmm. he Other did than using L, using God, mm -hmm. you know. Well, and we know the devil does have angels in his command, but this does not necessarily make him an angel himself. Hmm. Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9, says, Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. In verse 8, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. Verse 9. The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Okay. First, this passage gives us four titles. The dragon, the serpent. Now, this could, this could actually deal back to the reptilian. Mm -hmm. Yes. Have you ever thought of that? Uh, for all of y'all that are familiar out there with the idea of the, the Sumerian text of the reptilian, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. gods or whatever. Okay, but anyway, he, he has four titles. Think about that. Dragon, serpent, devil, and Satan. He's given him four titles there in the book of Revelation. Where's Lucifer? Exactly. Some will insist that Lucifer, of course, was his angelic name and was dropped as at his angelic and I fall. I still am one who believes that that was all from that allegory, allegory of talking about was, the planet Venus. Yeah, you're like the planet Venus. You're so high and bright, but you're going to fall just like when the sun comes up. So again, Lucifer was a Hebrew word that meant bright star or morning star. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Secondly, this passage tells us that Satan has angels, but doesn't make a claim that he is an angel himself. No, a lot of people say, see, he was in heaven. And right. there's you know, if you were even of a lesser order of the gods, mm -hmm. you could have angels, right? Yes. Well, yeah. I and mean, I thought it was interesting. Of course, you know, we've done some study on the Apocrypha and discussion. Mm, yeah. But in the book of Jubilees, Yahweh actually grants Satan, who is known in that book as Mastima, 
authority over a small group of angels, including the Nephilim. Okay. And, and think of something else. Job. Go to the book of Job. Mm-hmm. The de- mm-hmm. Satan, the devil, I don't remember what title he's got there, what title is given to him. He's given Satan. And he presents himself. The sons of God come up before God, and Satan comes with them. So I thought it was interesting when I was doing some research into this. I found out that in the book of Job, it's actually the Satan that is used there. Okay. And it's the word that's translated Satan is H-A-S-A-T-A-N, Ha-Satan. And it's the Hebrew reference used for a heavenly being. And it's only used in one other passage in the Bible, or in the Old Testament. Can you guess what it is? Because uh, I didn't know Genesis, it. Genesis, I don't know. It's Zechariah, chapter oh. 3, verses 1 and 2. And next, the messenger angel showed me, showed me the high priest Joshua, and he was standing before God's angel when the accuser showed up to accuse him. And then God said to the accuser, I, God, rebuke you. I rebuke you and choose Jerusalem. Surprise, everything's going up in flames, but I'll reach in and pull out Jerusalem. And that's the only other time that he's referred to as an actual and, deity, and, heavenly being. And he has access mm-hmm. there, like the book of Job. He's mm-hmm. access because we know he does get cast down from heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan as a shooting star yes. fall mm-hmm. from heaven. That does not make him an angel. No. Right. He could be of a different authority and, and be there in the presence of the heavens. Part three, Tracy. Well, also in the book of Jude, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 9, which feels kind of funny because Jude only has the one chapter. Yeah, but <laughs> in Jude, chapter 9, chapter verse 9, yeah. we read of a dispute between Michael and the archangel, between Michael, the archangel, and the devil over the body of Moses, an event mentioned in an earlier episode that Jude would have likely read in the forbidden book of Enoch. This still does not make the claim that the devil's a fallen angel. An interesting statement concerning the devil from the lips of Jesus himself is found in John 8:44. In response to the Jews' claims that they were descendants of Abraham, Jesus retorts, You are the children of your father, the devil. You love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, the problem that this statement Jesus makes concerning the devil is that he was a murderer from the beginning and that he has always been a liar and he is the father of lies. So one must ask the question, why didn't Jesus say from the day he rebelled rather than from the beginning or from the day even it would i mean if we'd have said well he meant from the day he was created okay so god created him and he's a murderer well and that's what a lot of people say (laughs) is that that's that's the i don't know if that's the typical apologetic answer but that god knew god knew his heart from the beginning he knew what was in his mind but then you go back to why would god have created i had to i don't know we know that I told you guys earlier that the story of how we interpret the verses from Isaiah and Ezekiel Ezekiel, come from origin. 
O-R-I-G-E-N, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, so no, forgive I, me. I think it's, it's uh, my origin is the way I've well, always read it. And his writings are from around the 2nd century A.D. Uh-huh. But he was the first one to decide that Isaiah and Ezekiel could not be speaking of a human, since obviously a human couldn't climb up to heaven and <laughs> get knocked down. Because the mountain of God, the allegorical statement, uh-huh. the mountain of God, yeah. And so he... He had no way to know the Canaanite mythological stories and that this was something they would all be really familiar with. So he decided that this must be an angel that they were discussing. Yeah. And that's where all of this started from. But even then, there were some people who really opposed it. And I found this from Celsus, C-E-L-S-U-S, who was a pagan in the about second century. Mm-hmm. And he wrote, because it's a blasphemy to say that the greatest God has an adversary who f- constrains his capacity to do good, Christians impiously divide the kingdom of God and create a rebellion in it, as if there are opposing factions in the divine, including one who's hostile to God himself. Right. Well, we, we ended that thought with, you know, one asked the question, why didn't, you know, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always been a liar. He's father of lies. So we asked the question, why didn't Jesus say from the day you rebelled? Or from the day you fell. And he said, oh, but he didn't. No, you're taking that out of the book of Ezekiel. You're right. going back to it and taking it somewhere else about a king of time. All right. Many say this is what Jesus meant. But let's take into consideration that our Lord Jesus was a master of words. He didn't speak without knowing the gravity of what he said. Is this the same beginning that John spoke of when speaking of Jesus? He said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God, and later said the word became flesh. Because there are emphasis on the beginning here. Mm-hmm. What beginning was Jesus talking about when he said he was a murderer from the beginning? But that leads you to consider if the devil's beginning was when he was created by God, how could he be a murderer and a liar from the beginning and come from Theos, the force of good? Hmm. Well, let us know. We're, we're not making the claim uh, that we can know for sure that the devil is not an angel, but we believe that the evidence is too slim to definitively say he's a fallen angel, even of the highest order. When we coupled today's episode with last week's episode where we talked about how throughout Genesis chapter 1, it should have been translated God's. Genesis 1-1 would have originally read, in the beginning, the gods created the heavens and the earth, it would raise the question of whether the devil might have been one of these gods of a lesser order. That's all we're saying. Right. These kind of discussions are the very things that our well-meaning religious forefathers have worked so hard to avoid because they decided on a direction that they believed Christianity should go and then interpreted the Bible for us to say what they believed. It's a bitter pill, but a true one. As we have said before, those of us who have grown up in the church have had the Bible interpreted for us long before we could ever read it ourselves. This is problematic because we come somewhat brainwashed into a certain way of thinking and often don't consider that there could be another interpretation. And if we do try to talk about the other interpretations, we are shamed and shouted down by being labeled heretics. Heretic! You're a heretic! we are. And I did. I thought it was interesting on all of this, too. I had someone point out in one of the things I was doing for research that in 2 Samuel 24, the 
there is a story that's translated that the angel of Yahweh is sent down to inflict the plague and kill 700,000 after David mm-hmm. um, does a census that he was not supposed to do. Yeah. But if you turn around and read the same story in First Chronicles 21, it's retold that Satan decided on his own ah. to come down and do this. So you have two different directives yeah. here. Uh, the same event has two different interpretations of what happened. They I do. didn't know that. Now say that again. It was sure in Second Samuel chapter twenty-four. There's the story of that an angel of Yahweh is sent down to inflict a plague and kill seven hundred thousand people after King David enacts a census that he was told not to do. Okay. But then the same story is retold in First Chronicles twenty-one. But in that version, Satan of his own deciding goes down and so Satan just decided yes. to go down and do it wow and I also wanted to add before we close on this I found it really interesting that in Judaism they don't believe in Satan as a physical being You're talking at about all. the Jews yes. talking about the Jews yes Jews do not believe that Satan is a physical being he is a part of the inner battle with yourself well he's kind of like the wolves thing you know we're going back and I, I've used this many times but you know, there's the old, uh, I think it was the Cherokee, but there's the old Indian chief and his grandson, and his Indian chief's walking along, and he says, son, there are two forces in you, two wolves that dwell in you. The one dwe- the one wolf is mean and vicious and hateful mm-hmm. and, 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 and does harm and destruction everywhere he goes, and the other wolf, and warring against him, is a good wolf, and he's gentle and kind and all of this, and the young brace says, well, Grandpa, which wolf wins? He said, the one you feed. Yes, the one you feed wins. Well, are we ready to conclude? I believe we are. Man tries very hard to create an answer for things we don't understand. If God did not create the devil, then where did he come from? And how does he have such power to be an adversary of God? Are we really caught in a battle of two extreme forces? One good and one bad? Is it at all possible that the devil is one of the order of the Elohim or God's presented in the first chapter of Genesis? The only real thing we should conclude is that just because some man has developed a theory and that theory has been embraced, taught, and adopted as fact by any group, including the church, it does not make it fact, especially when it is based on very questionable interpretations. So until next time, keep on seeking from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible, God's grace, peace, and love on you our fellow seekers. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.